Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning, everybody. For those of you I haven't met yet, my name is Jen Crow. I'm one of the ministers at First Universalist Church. It's such a pleasure to get to be a part of this community with all of you. And we're so glad that each and every person is here. For over 160 years, this has been a faith community that gives and receives and grows in the universalist spirit of love and hope. That is who we are. So in particular, we are a church that is all about welcoming, affirming, and protecting the light in each human heart listening deeply to where love is calling us next, and acting with bravery and humility and compassion in the service of justice. We do all of this as a faith community that is deeply committed to racial justice, and that is the life we invite you into when you journey with us, and that is the spirit of worship that will be alive in this service today. Now today we're gonna celebrate something special and unique. In our congregation, it is a tradition, and it is a tradition in Unitarian Universalism to celebrate something called water communion. This is a time where symbolically sometimes and actually tangibly, truly, sometimes we bring our water from different places that are special and sacred to us. We bring it together and merge those waters together as a way to remember that all of our individual lives and identities and experiences we bring are important and are part of this larger stream of life and love. So we will celebrate water communion today in a way that I would guess in 160 years we have never done before. So I'm so glad you can be here to be part of this important and new moment in how we live into this tradition that's been part of our faith community for so long. So let's settle in. Let's settle in for this time of connection, for this time where we might find comfort and challenge and to know we are part of something so much larger than ourselves. Hi friends, my name is Lauren Wyatt and I'm the Director of Children, Youth and Family Ministries for First Universalist Church of Minneapolis and I have a story to tell you today. A story from, oh, maybe a year ago, which seems so far away now, at a time when we were gathering at First Universalist Church to celebrate Water Communion. And one of the younger people that had arrived to church that morning had an older person that they came to the church with, and they, as they were waiting for the service to start, asked their older friend a question. They said, hey, um, why do we celebrate water communion ritual every year? And as a matter of fact, why do we come to church every Sunday? And the older friend thought for a moment, looked at their watch and realized there was plenty of time before things were gonna start and said, hey, come on with me. I have a way to tell you the answer to this question. And they headed down to the church kitchen next to the social hall and it was bustling, things were happening, but they made their way in 
and the older friend found a stool for the younger friend to sit on rather near that big giant stove that we have. And they pulled some giant pots out of those big metal cabinets and filled them nearly full with water, set them on the stove and turned on the burner beneath them. And then they rustled in the big church refrigerator and out they pulled three things. One, a raw egg. Two, a raw potato. And three, some coffee ground. And one by one, they dropped these things into the waiting pots. And then as the water boiled, the two friends got to talking and they had probably a 20 minute long conversation that covered a lot of topics, including baby geese and Legos and Daniel Tiger and egg rolls and questions about whether magic potions are for real or whether they're just imaginary. And when there was a break in the conversation, the older friend said, hey, I think we have our answer. I think it's ready. And first of, of all, they pulled out of one of the pots, the egg. And they said, the love and support and challenges and encouragement of our congregation are like the water in these pots. And some of us come here to church like an egg. We are fragile and easily broken, but we are filled with promise. For the eggs, the water helps them become stronger and more able to withstand the hard knocks of life. And when those hard knocks then come, because they always do, then those eggs are able to sustain the hit and still remain whole inside. And then they continued on. They said, some of us are like a potato. We come in tough and unrelenting and not really easily able to let things in, but the water helps the potatoes become softer and more able to open up to the good things in the world. Like this potato became nice and soft. And now, it can let in good things like love and new ideas. And lastly, some of us are like coffee. We arrive in one form and the water changes us into something completely different and better than we were before. So every year, Water Communion reminds us of how our church can help us become the best version of ourselves. We bring water, each of us, and we mix it all together to show that each of our contributions matters to this whole community. And then we keep showing up Sunday after Sunday, week after week, year after year, to give the water a chance to work its magic on us, to give the congregation a chance to change who we are. And that kind of magic, my friend, that kind for sure is real.
Thank you, David, for that beautiful version of Spirit of Life. Thank you so much. You know, every time I hear that song, I, I feel a sense of um, just, I think, deep belonging to this community. And it's something I've been really paying attention to, those places that help me feel more steady in this time of anxiety, this time of uncertainty, this time of fear and worry, and this time of possibility, these things that help me know I belong. And that song is one of those things. And I think that's probably true for many of us. We're in this time of wanting to find some steadiness, wanting to know ourselves held uh, in a larger community, in a larger love, in a larger embrace, because doing life by ourselves, trying to make, make it through by ourselves is just not workable. And there's a resilience and a strength we feel when we, are, when we know we are, are held by something bigger than ourselves. And that allows us to show up to life in new, in new ways. So I heard a story um, maybe a week or two ago that really kind of captured the power of this being held um, in a larger embrace. Uh, it's a story that comes from a podcast from Tara Brock, who's a teacher and a, um, an author and a meditation instructor and someone that I have really been turning to frequently for wisdom and insight and, and guidance in this time that we're in. Her podcasts are quite helpful for me. So the story that she shares in this podcast, it's told in the first person. It's just a little heads up here. It's told in the first person, but it's not um, Tara Brock's uh, story, nor is it my story. So when you hear the word I, just know that that is actually a young man um, in high school. That's who the I is in this story. It's not me and it's not Tara Brock. So here's the story. When I was a freshman in high school, I saw a kid from my class who was walking home from school. His name was Kyle. He looked like he was carrying all of his books home from school. I thought to myself, why would anyone bring all his books home on a Friday? He must be a real nerd. I had quite a weekend planned. I had a party, a football game, a time with some friends, etc. So I just, you know, shrugged my shoulders and went on. As I was walking, I saw a bunch of kids running toward Kyle. They ran at him. They knocked all of his books out of his arms and they tripped him and he landed right in the dirt. His glasses went flying off of his face and I saw them land about 10 feet from where he had fallen. He looked up and I saw this terrible sadness in his eyes and my heart went out to him. So I jogged over and as he was crawling in the dirt kind of looking, I, um, I said, hey, look, I, I, I got your glasses. And I went and picked up his glasses and I handed them back to him. And he said, and he said thank you. And I said, yeah, those guys are, are jerks. They really, they really should get lives. He looked at me again and he said, hey, thanks. And there was this big smile on his face. It was one of those smiles that showed real gratitude. So I helped him pick up his books and I asked him where he lived. And as it turned out, he lived right near me. So I asked why I'd never seen him before. He had been going to private school and had just recently transferred over to my school. So we talked all the way home and I carried some of his books. It turns out he was a really cool kid. I asked him if he wanted to play a little football with my friends and he said yes. We hung out all weekend and the more I got to know Kyle, the more I liked him and my friends thought the same. Monday morning came and there was Kyle with that huge stack of books again. I stopped and I said, boy, you're really gonna build some big muscles with this pile of books every day. He just laughed and he handed me half the books to carry. 
over the next four years, Kyle and I became best friends. When we were seniors, we began to think about college. Kyle decided on Georgetown and I was going to Duke. Kyle was a valedictorian of his class. I teased him all the time about being a nerd, but at the end of high school, he had to prepare a speech for graduation. And I was so glad it wasn't me, this is the storyteller, not me personally, having to get up there and speak. I could see he was nervous about his speech. So I said, hey, you're gonna be great. And he looked at me with one of those looks, that really grateful one, and smiled. As he started his speech, he cleared his throat and began. Graduation is a time to thank those who helped you make it through these tough years, your parents, your sisters, your siblings, maybe a coach, but mostly your friends. I'm here to tell you that being a friend to someone is the best gift you can give them. And I'm going to tell you a story, said Kyle. I just looked at my friend with disbelief as he told the story of the first day we met. He had planned to kill himself over the weekend. He talked of how he had cleaned out his locker so his mom wouldn't have to do that. And he was just carrying all of that stuff home. He looked hard at me and gave a little smile. Thankfully, I was saved, he said. My friend saved me from doing the unspeakable. I heard the gasp go through the crowd as this well-loved boy told us all about his weakest and hardest, most vulnerable moment. I saw his mom and dad looking at me and smiling that same grateful smile. Not until that moment did I realize its depth. Never underestimate the power of your caring. With one small gesture, you can change a person's life. And before I continue, I just, I wanna acknowledge uh, both in the chat and just in this congregation, I know there are those of you who, um, who have been impacted directly by the loss of a loved one to suicide or have struggled with suicidal thoughts or depression. And I wanna be very clear that we can hold that, will hold that with you. We are here for you and absolutely want you to reach out to us so we can accompany you. And this story, it reminds us that we don't always know the impact of our gestures, of our kindness, but one small gesture can really change, can touch, can impact a person's life. This is so worth remembering right now as we are living in these trauma-filled times, these times of hurricanes and wildfires, these times of deep concern about our democracy and our country and our children and racial justice. The waves of grief and worry and anxiety, they wash over us daily. We are living in times when care and kindness are needed more than ever. These small gestures can change a day a week, even a life. So as we gather this morning, may we remember that we are held in a larger community of care, a community that isn't afraid of the complexities of this time and all that comes with it, all of the emotions that roil up in us every single day. May we remember we are held in that community 
And in the midst of that reality, may we symbolically link arms with one another. May we take a deep breath and may we ride the waves together. May it be so, and amen. I'll tell you this image of our church as one link in a line, one team in this relay to protect the water as it heads down from the Mississippi headwaters, blessed by indigenous peoples of this land, this image of our church as one link in this line of protection and care has really stuck with me. And it's gotten me thinking about the ways that we are each one link in a line, one piece of a relay team, in our lives, in the lives of our community and our world. Sometimes we don't even know it. So this morning, Justin told us about the boys who changed each other's lives, each of them a link in the line of each other's lives, each of them one part of that relay of life that helped to protect and affirm the light in each of their hearts, that helped them to then become a part of other communities where they were one link in a line, one part of a relay team that lasts for generations. This is how it works. This is who we are to each other as individuals and who we are in our communities. One link in a line, one part of this legacy of generations. We just saw how our water protectors have been part of a successful coalition guided by native voices and wisdom. Our church, one link in a line in protecting water and the health of our land for everyone. Just yesterday, I was over at our church building. It was such a delight to be in there. And I was painting with some of you. I'll paint with some more of you this afternoon in our newly renovated space as it gets ready to be used and usable, not just by us, but also by our larger community. I remembered every one of us that is giving what we can of our time and talent and resources so that the space we occupy in the world can be open to more people, open to all more inclusive and welcoming when we once again open its doors. And I'll tell you, I was up in the sanctuary of our church this week too. And whenever I'm there these days, uh, I engage in a practice that one of you actually taught me. And I sit in the pews and I put my hands on the back of the pew in front of me. And I imagine for a moment, all of the other hands of all of the other people who have touched that space, that place in our pews and in our sanctuary. I remember that it goes back for generations across culture, across faith, all of us connected by our desire to create a community of love and care to create love and justice in the world. And I let the back of the pew steady me, and I feel myself one link in the line, one part of something so much larger than myself. And this weekend, I found myself turning to another source that reminds me who I am and where I am and where we are and what we are a part of. I turned back to the letter that Congressman John Lewis left for us, when he knew that he was dying, he wanted to impart one final piece of wisdom and knowledge for us. And he wrote this letter that has been published and that you can find, and I hope you take a look at it. In this letter, John Lewis tells us that at 15 years old, Emmett Till was his George Floyd. He says Emmett Till was his Breonna Taylor, his Richard Brooks, his Sandra Bland. 
how at the age of 15, he was awakened again, and how he heard at that point the voice of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He heard Dr. King calling him into a new way of understanding the world, of imagining the world, a world that was in fact the beloved community where each and every person across all races and cultures and life stations and social positions, where all of us are valued for all of who we are, all a part of this beloved community. He said he heard Dr. King calling him in, acknowledging that every single person's actions matter, that we are all responsible together for creating justice. In this letter that John Lewis left, he talks about visiting Black Lives Matter Plaza in Washington, D.C. this summer, not long before he died. He said that even though he was ill, he needed to go see for himself the ways that the truth was still marching on. He needed to see, as he said, that after years of silence, the struggle was continuing and being brought alive in new ways. He needed to see how millions of people, he said, motivated simply by human compassion, could lay down the burdens of division. How around the country and around the world, we were able to set aside race and class and age and language and nationality to demand respect for human dignity. John Lewis tells us in this letter that democracy is not a country, it's not a state, but it is an action. He says that every time we raise our voices, every time we tell the truth, every time we demand basic human rights like clean water and good food and housing and health and safety, every time that we insist that justice extend to reach every one of us, every time we vote, we are protecting and sustaining democracy, passing it on one link in a line to the next generation. Now, I find myself returning to this letter so often because for me it has the feeling of a literal baton being passed to me, to us, to our world in this moment. I receive this letter as instruction, connection, possibility, and I see it as his way of passing on the light of possibility of beckoning us toward the beloved community of all of us holding on to and sharing in this hope and this demand for justice for all. And as John Lewis passes on his life's work to us, he tells us that together, together, we can redeem the soul of our nation. We can redeem the soul of our nation, he says, if we do it together. And I believe him. Even in the moments I feel helpless or hopeless about the state of the world or the state of our country, I can hear his voice calling to me, saying, together. Together, we can redeem the soul of our nation. And this together, it's not just us right here, right now. This together stretches back through the generations, all the way back to anyone who ever imagined a world where everyone was welcome and wanted and loved and whole just the way they are. This together stretches back through generations past the beginning of the United States, back generations and generations to all who had a vision of inclusion and hope and possibility. It stretches to civil rights leaders in our lived memory. It stretches to right now, together meaning each and every one of us, together meaning also those we will never meet, generations we will pass this baton onto us one link in the line, times we will never see. 
together, all of us, one link in the line, one generation connected to the next, each of us doing what we can to hold up the hope, to live into the possibility of the beloved community where each and everyone is welcome and wanted and whole and holy. This is the together that I believe can redeem the soul of our nation that can help us hold on when times are difficult, when it is hard to believe in what good might be coming next. So I remind us today, each of us one link in a line, a long, long line that stretches back through the generations farther than we can see, and I pray stretches forward too into a future we cannot yet imagine. Our arms are, our hands are held. Our hands are held, our arms are linked, our lives are dependent one on the other. And even now, when we can feel so alone, when many of us are isolated, the ancestors are with us. The ancestors are with us always, telling us that they too lived through unbelievable, sometimes feeling unbearable times. Our communities are here now, reminding us of the hopes we share, the possibilities that we can create together. And the next generations, they are there too, beckoning to us, trusting that we will do our part and not let the light go out, that we will hand on this world, we hope with a little more kindness, a few more open doors, a little more justice than the way we received it. We are part of something so much larger than ourselves and so much larger than our individual lives. We dream a dream together that is bigger and bolder than anything that can be achieved by one person in one lifetime, and so we must do it together. Each of us one part of a line, a legacy, a legion of courage, I like to imagine, held by a love that will not let us go. This is who we are. So today, as we symbolically merge the waters of our many lives together, May we know our place in this mighty stream of life and love, this hope, this beloved community that beckons us on, that holds us as we struggle, that opens us and transforms us. May we know ourselves held by this giant love that is so big it will not let any of us go, any of us, generation to generation to generation. May it be so. Amen. On this Water Communion Sunday, we honor the life-giving, sacred nature of water, and we merge our individual waters together. We remember who we are through ritual and word. We are the people who welcome, affirm, and protect the light in each human heart. who listen deeply to where love is calling us next. And who act with humility, bravery, and compassion in service to justice.
Water teaches us about life's sacredness and inevitable changes. As water rushes, meanders, evaporates, rages, cleanses, and nourishes the earth. Water runs in our veins, flows over the earth, churns in the oceans, falls as snow and gentle rain, and the mist and fog that hides the landscape. Like water, our lives also know many shapes and pathways. We experience seasons of grief, delight, joy, confusion, and so much more as we ride the waves of life. This morning, we recommit to journeying with each other, to building the beloved community, trusting that we are not alone, trusting always in the transforming, extravagant power of love. We merge these waters, offering this blessing. May we live like a river flows, carried by the surprise of our own unfolding. Spirit of life, whose very essence is love, we bless this water that we have gathered here today. We bless it and remember that we are born from, are held by, and return to the one great ocean, the source of unending love. May we know ourselves held by that love and feel the comfort of our connection together. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text first UNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.